Howdy, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Start Where You Stand podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Onstott, and I am so glad that you're here back again to continue your trek of maximizing your human potential and developing your personal high-performing routine. Last episode, we discussed the framework for this podcast. We talked about our interview and informative episodes, what is human potential, and then briefly I introduced the personality, strength, and emotional intelligence inventories that we'll be diving into on the podcast to create your personal identity map. Those are the Myers-Briggs, or 16 Personality Inventory, Enneagram, the Gallup-Clifton Strength Finders Assessment, and Love Languages. Over the next few podcast episodes, we'll explore each of these in depth and essentially bring about awareness of your personality and emotional and analytical preferences so that you're better equipped to lead yourself at home, in the classroom, and at work. On today's agenda, we're going to talk about your Myers-Briggs results, commonly referred to as a 16 personality inventory. We're first going to dive into the history of the assessment. Next, we're going to look at what was its original purpose and how it's used today. Third, we're going to approach taking the test for the most accurate results and interpret those. And lastly, we're going to develop some action items for your personality type to improve on the seven dimensions of optimal performance that the Start Where You Stand podcast is founded upon. Just to quickly recap, the seven dimensions of optimal performance are first, your career and degree selection, second, your perception and identity, third, your commitment and dedication, fourth, your optimal schedule, fifth, your physical wellness, sixth, your financial wellness, and lastly, your leadership development. So without further ado, let's dive into the history of the MBTI. So commonly, like I said earlier, referred to as a 16 personality inventory, the Myers-Briggs personality assessment is regularly used by organizations, psychologists, and schools. Though this personality assessment isn't proven to be stable, it's still a valuable tool for personal development. So let me give you the rundown of how and why Myers-Briggs was created. Catherine Briggs was a woman fascinated with personality type. Her life's work focused on observing human behavior that so she could better understand how it affected her ability to be a good parent, a teacher, student, etc. Catherine was born on January 3rd in 1875 and eventually had a daughter named Isabel who inherently picked up the same interest and personality as Catherine. Another character we're going to talk about when exploring the history of the MBTI is Carl Jung. Jung is a very influential psychologist who you've probably heard of before who essentially established the entire field of analytical psychology. Many of his best theories centralized around the human unconscious and the idea that there is a collective unconscious that each of us share. Some popular coin terms you guys may have heard um, regarding our unconscious are the persona, our shadow, our anima or animus, depending on if you're a male or female, and the self. Now, I don't want to veer too far from Myers-Briggs, but let me briefly give you guys some context to Jung's work. 
So the persona is the exaggerated version of ourself when we're in public environments. This is rooted in our desire to make a good impression. Many people can agree that you don't have the same personality at home or behind closed doors that you do during a meeting with a client or whenever you're the one leading a meeting at work. This is our persona, who we are when we're displaying our personality within socially acceptable framework. As I'm explaining this, I'm sure I'm getting a lot of mixed reactions about the persona. Some of you are probably thinking defensively, and you might say, I don't know, Madeline. I'm, I'm a pretty consistent person in every environment. I'm not fake just because I'm in public. My challenge for those of you who may be thinking that way or even had a thought similar to that is try not to see the persona as a fake identity or a fake version of yourself or your character. It's really not. You can't mask all of your personality without minimally a little bit seeping through. An example of persona and action would be something like this. Let's say you may love some dark humor like me and as you and your closest friends are going on a vacation together and you're about to hop aboard your flight you may joke around and say something like let's hope this plane doesn't go down but if it does i'll see you on the other side bro now let's put this in a different role Um, now you're the plane's pilot giving a welcome aboard speech in a flight synopsis do you think that the passengers with aerophobia or fear of flying would respond well to an underlying joke like that probably (laughs) probably not in fact some of those passengers may just have a few choice words for you and your boss Um, and your employment could be jeopardized. So instead of running that risk, you may try to show your humor through a different joke during that rundown, but it probably won't be dark humor related to whether or not the flight will go down. This isn't you being a different you, it's just simply you operating within a socially acceptable bound. Okay, so enough about persona. Let's briefly talk about the shadow. If persona is the obedience to expectations, your shadow is everything that you've been denied um, in our character or self. It's all the things that we've told ourselves we're not going to be, all the things that we're not going to associate ourselves with, etc. These traits are sometimes the first thing that we notice in other people. Though. So, for example, you may have had some bad experiences growing up with aggression in a parent or uh, sexual experiences or carelessness. So you actively made the decision that you're not going to be like that, whatever that presents itself as. And so in your efforts to establish a community and to decide whether or not you're going to associate yourself with someone or something, you notice these attributes or actions first in people. Our shadows are the sins, the dark thoughts, the moods, the actions where we feel guilt or shame. Next, we have the anima or animus, which is determined upon whether or not you're male or female. This is believed to lie within our shadow. It's the femininity um, within men and the masculinity within a woman, or should I say the arbitrary stereotypes of what a good man and a good woman look like. For example, a woman, or eros in Greek, is associated with love, connection, creativity, being a good listener, whereas a man, or logos in Greek, is associated with power, control, analytics, action. These levels are the personification of these traits in each of our character. 
Lastly and briefly, we're going to talk about the self. The self is the deepest and the highest parts of all of our human psyche. The self embraces all that we've previously discussed. It's the best of all of us, and it's only whenever we get to this point where we can mature and excel. Young believed getting to this point was the purpose of life, to fully integrate each stage of our consciousness. All right, back to the point. So Briggs ran across Young's work and found that it was in complete alignment with all of her journals and research. This was enough validation for that mother-daughter pair to start conducting more research during World War II when there was a lot of job inefficiencies and misplacements to solve that problem. To improve job satisfaction and performance in both civilians and soldiers, they designed this test to measure personality and help fit everyone in their best match position. It's actually a really good idea. So this was the first inventory of Myers-Briggs that was born. Now let's talk about the structure of this assessment. MBTI has roughly 126 to 130 questions, give or take, depending on the exam that you take. Um, and the answers are answered on a seven-point Likert scale from agree to disagree. So you can very much agree, moderately agree, somewhat agree, extremely disagree, etc. So each of these questions measure your placement between the eight personality polarities being measured. And these are extroversion versus introversion, intuitive versus observant, thinking versus feeling, and perceiving versus judging. The first pair that we're going to be diving into of psychological preferences is extroversion and introversion. Where do you put your attention and get your energy? Do you like to spend time in the outer world of people and things, or do you prefer the inner world of ideas and images? Extroversion and introversion is actually referenced in Young's work, too, to explain the different attitudes of people and where they direct their energy from. Everyone spends a little bit of time extroverting and a little bit of time introverting. And despite popular misconceptions, I also want to note that introversion in a psychological sense isn't interchangeable with the word shy or reclusive. Questions on the inventory related to extroversion and introversion do take this into account, and they assess and measure you on your percentage between the two polarities. So, where do you mostly prefer to source your energy? An example of two statements that you may be asked to answer on the inventory is, I sometimes jump too quickly into an activity and don't allow myself enough time to think over it. Or you might see something along the lines of, I prefer to know just a few people well. You may be confused after those, like, Madeline, those have nothing to do with whether or not I like to be around people at all. And, yeah, I chose those two questions intentionally. It's a big misconception that introversion and extroversion solely have to do with your social preferences. There's an element of the traits that are people-oriented, but it isn't exclusively about others. There's an environmental preference that can be correlated to our interpersonal responses. Okay, next, let's dive into the intuitive versus observant personality preferences. Do you pay more attention to information that sources from your five senses, or do you prefer to pay more attention to patterns and possibilities that you see in the information that you receive? This is the difference between the two. So similar to introversion versus extroversion, everyone spends some time in their life taking in information in both ways. But the goal of Myers-Briggs is to measure which you identify with the most. 
intuitive personality types rely on imagining the past and future potential of what they see. And those with the observant style are more interested in observable facts, more straightforward outcomes. This is because observant personalities prefer to avoid layering too much interpretation on what they see. Being intuitive doesn't mean that someone can't be practical, and being observant doesn't mean a lack of imagination. They both use their minds and their physical senses as well. I love how the 16 personalities assessment puts it whenever they say the difference is in the spin in which they put on their experiences. It's where their thinking goes after an experience with their environment. I like to think of observant personalities as the executors or the doers. They're focused on executing their obligations in real time, just really in touch with the present. And I like to think of intuitive personality types as those who live by the quote um, from Star Trek, things are impossible until they're not. They naturally tend to account for the what-ifs and give things deeper meaning in foresight and hindsight being 2020. Here are two examples that you might see on the inventory to measure these preferences. First, I start with the facts and then form a big picture. And the second one, I solve problems by leaping between different ideas and possibilities. Okay, next, thinking versus feeling. I want to make sure that I'm being timely with this. These letters measure your decision-making preferences. For example, when you ultimately make a decision, what seals the deal for you? Is it objectivity, principle, analytics, etc., or is it your personal concern, disrupted peace, your community insight and influences, or moral obligations? You're probably thinking right now, well, that depends on the circumstance, Madeline, and I 100% agree with you. According to leading decision-making research, scientists estimate on average that we make roughly 35,000 decisions a day. This is everything from when you're going to wake up, whether or not you're going to scroll the black hole of TikTok, deciding where you want to eat, which for some of us, especially women in particular, it seems like can be an impossible feat. But humor aside, it's safe to say the majority of the decisions that we make on a daily basis aren't all life-changing or strategic. Therefore, you can assume that you're going to inherently approach making each decision a little bit differently. Before I delve into how this is tangibly measured, I want to include the Gallup statistic that highlights this portion for me really well. Gallup found that 74% of people with the thinking trait say it's easy for them to make important decisions without consulting with someone first, compared to the 42% of those with the feeling trait. Wow. Yeah, I definitely fall into that 42% easily. I sometimes call my mom just to get advice on what to eat for lunch, let alone larger decisions. I was raised on the idea that diverse community can provide diverse wisdom, and you should take advantage of that. However, there are also times in which I run the numbers and I'm very objective with my decisions, especially related to business and financial decisions, to where I don't need to outsource a lot of that decision-making. So on this test, here are some statements that measure these preferences. I notice inconsistencies. Or, I believe being tactful is more important than telling the cold truth. I want to disclose that feeling doesn't mean you're too emotional or illogical 
Um, typically, feeling personality types just have greater concern for a bigger moral picture, like world peace or spreading the good news, etc. Um, and on the other foot, being a thinker doesn't make you emotionless or a robot either. Typically, these personalities are more motivated by fairness and efficiency. So lastly, we have the judging versus perceiving personality measurement. At first glance, you may assume that judging is about placing yourself on a pedestal and ridiculing others because we constantly associate judging um, with that, that verbiage. Um, but it's completely out of context here with how we use the word in Myers-Briggs. These two types actually measure your preference for whether or not you live with order or spontaneity and flexibility. This measures specifically how we choose to interact with the outside world. Jays tend to focus a lot on decision-making because they find peace whenever things are already decided. These personalities also have a lot of backup plans for their backup plans. Daily to-do lists aren't essential, no different than religiously drinking a cup of coffee whenever you first wake up in the morning. Now, prospecting or perceiving personality types, they tend to be more overwhelmed when there's too much structure. They feel like they're being put in a box if they have to operate in a particular way all the time. Opposite from the judging personality type, they're more reactive to their environment rather than trying to control it. These types are constantly brainstorming and they can be slow to commit to obligations because of uncertainties or various potentials that they create in their mind. I want to make sure to include that being a P doesn't mean you're disorganized. Honestly, it just measures more so how you choose to be organized. It's not one being better than the other. So. How does this present itself on the inventory? Well, here are two examples of something that you might see. First, I like to get my work done before playing. And second, I work in bursts of energy. I feel like these two examples encapsulate the fact that we're a blend of both. However, as you complete the assessment, you tend to see your natural preference. Okay. Whew, that was a lot of info to take in. Let's take a second, <sighs> digest that. I hope that you took some good mental notes or if you're like me, some physical notes. If not, no worries. I'll be sure to post on our socials and on our website a synopsis of this episode. Now that you know the history and the context, let's quickly talk about how you can go about taking the test and where to take it. The MBTI is a free assessment. You can find the link to the inventory in the show notes. However, you can also just Google 16 personalities test and click the first link. There's a big purple button and you can't miss it. It says, take the test. <laughs> the estimate of time that it should take you is roughly only 10 minutes. And here are my three suggestions on how to get the most accurate results. So step one on this trek, try not to overthink your responses. Remember that this inventory is measuring your personality preference. This is more accurately done whenever the test taker can go with their intuition and gut reaction. Let's do some quick math. So there are 130 questions on the assessment and let's just say the test takes you, like they said, roughly 10 to 15 minutes maximum. That would mean that you should only spend about 20 to 30 seconds on each question. So next, step two on this track is try not to take the test. Whoa, 
you're thinking, what the heck does that girl mean? Well, we naturally are influenced by our environmental expectations, and each of us have uniquely derived a conceptual and objective idea of what the perfect person looks like, especially the perfect personality. And I'd say unless you have an ego the size of Texas, we can probably assume that we don't meet up to those expectations on every front. That's not something to be discouraged about either. In a lot of ways, we should find joy in the journey of becoming a better version of ourselves every day. We're not perfect. But for anyone like me, that doesn't change the fact that we still want to be perfect. So what do I mean whenever I say try not to, quote unquote, take the test and let the test take you? There's no right answer or right personality type. I don't want you to answer as the person that you want to be or as the person everyone thinks you should be. Answer honestly where you stand and you should get the most accurate results. I get a lot of times from friends and family members who I encourage to take the test that "Mm, my results didn't really feel like they fit me. Um, Some areas they matched, some areas they didn't. Well, I, I initially assume that it's because you answer the way you should be versus the way that you actually are. The third and final step on this track is have fun with it. This isn't going to determine anything about you or limit you from potential opportunities or make you any lesser of a person. This test is a tool to help you learn more about you. You owe it to yourself. Personality is just one of many factors that guide our behavior. Where there's awareness, there is choice. And by understanding your tendencies, you can make life and making decisions a whole lot easier on yourself. On today's episode, I'm not going to dive into each of the 16 personality unique combinations. That would take far too long and honestly be somewhat unnecessary. However, after you take the test, you can read up on your unique combination and tendencies relative to the strengths and weaknesses of your personality combination. But let me run you through my results and what notes I would suggest you take away as you analyze your own results. So I'm an ENFJ, which is the protagonist personality type. Whenever you complete the test, it brings you to an introduction page on your specific personality type in your character title. There are roughly eight pages of resources that discuss typical workplace habits, parenthood, friendship, relationship tendencies, and strengths and weaknesses associated with your unique type. Of course, read what sounds interesting to you. I don't want to you from any satisfaction that you may get from reading your results by giving you my suggestions on what to know and take away. I recommend downloading a copy of the typical strengths and weaknesses, your career paths, and workplace habits associated with your type and put it on a running document. Knowing the context of each letter now, I want you to take note of fundamentally how you operate, i.e. simply where you source your energy how you process information, where you source your decision making, and lastly, how you organize responsibility. I want you to brainstorm three different ideas on how to improve your routine or mindset to fit these preferences. This can be related to time management, driving more energy and motivation, or performing at a higher quality in the classroom, at work, or as a parent, or as a daughter, son, etc. at home. The goal is to make time for things that are important to you, and whenever you do that minimally, you'll find more satisfaction in your day-to-day and increase your performance naturally. Let me guide you through an example 
To do so, let's reference the start where you stand seven dimensions of optimal performance. Just to recap, these dimensions are career and degree selection, personal perception and identity, your commitment and dedication, optimal schedule, physical wellness, and leadership development. I'm going to focus this example on career selection out of those seven dimensions. In the Career Paths Results tab on the 16 Personality website, it states that the protagonist personality feels fulfilled and energized by work that allows them to step back and reflect on the big picture. Leaving a legacy is a big priority. It doesn't have to be something as grand as solving world hunger, but for people with this personality type, they have to use that professional energy to resolve at least some sort of deeper issue that their customer or colleagues face. They're typically versatile, insightful, etc., cetera, um, but they can feel stuck or bored whenever they are in repeated daily tasks that could be obsolete to uh, making a difference in the world. The first question I asked myself is, does this resonate with me? That's how you know if you're in the right direction of understanding your personality. And in this instance, for me, it does. It matters to me to leave a legacy. It matters to me that my work is something um, bigger than than just a normal task that has a start and a finish. Um, so aligning that with the career selection dimension in our seven dimensions of optimal performance, I did a quick Google search of careers that make a difference. There's a lot of really good websites and resources. Indeed um, has a few. I know that the World Scholarship Forum has a few. Uh, Forbes has a few. There's a lot of quality resources. I'd say do your due diligence. Um, but here are a few careers that make a difference that would align with satisfying that need in my personality type. Those are educators, um, community health workers, nonprofit executive directors, software developers, um, speech language pathologists, firefighters, etc. And for me, the two careers that resonated with me the most out of all of my research were educational and motivational public speakers and cultural operational consultants. Um, these two really highlight the protagonist's personality type, their need for a versatile and insightful career that also is inspiring, it's legacy-oriented, and this is also work that energizes me and inspires me to wake up every morning. I recommend that each of you guys go through a brainstorming phase in regards to any of the seven dimensions. It could be career like I chose. It could be um, your perception and identity, your commitment. It could be your schedule. It could be your physical wellness, etc. Um, and Align the results from your Myers-Briggs that are fitting to you, that resonate with you, and find a way to incorporate something into your routine this week that helps to fulfill that niche of your personality type. And hopefully, by the end of the week, you may feel more aligned with, with yourself and your routine. And I would love to hear more about that if you go to the website, you can go into the Google Form and Discussion tab, 
And I'd love to hear your reflection on how this experience benefited you and what it was that you specifically incorporated either into your routine, into your perception, or into your future plans that you may not have had any awareness of previous to this episode. To start wrapping up the show, I also want to mention that Myers-Briggs and all the other personality inventories that we're going to be touching on in the show, they aren't foolproof, meaning that it's not more valid or more reliable than any other personality test or emotional intelligence test, etc. However, the Myers-Briggs personality test does have strong test retest reliability, and the online version of the MBTI was even updated as recently as 2019. So your results aren't going to magically depict you perfectly. However, they can be a really good tool for self-development, which is so important as we track along on this leadership journey. So that is it for today's episode. Here are my encouraging action items for our assessment of Myers-Briggs today. I want you to take your test on 16 personalities. I want you to download your results and come up with three ways to either improve your mindset, your routine, uh, your career selection, etc. Any of those seven dimensions of optimal performance and write those down on the running document that I mentioned earlier. We're going to continue to reference this document throughout the course of the podcast, and it will essentially be a really good tool uh, to reference during the episodes with high performers. That's it for today, you guys. If you like this podcast, subscribe, share it with a friend, and follow us on social media, and we'll be happy to see you back on next week's episode. And don't forget, it's never too late to start where you stand.